Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting right across from me in, how would you describe this, Greg? It's a little it, cubicle? It's a nook inside of a studio, Yes. inside of a larger facility. Mm-hmm. It is uh, definitely something in yeah. which things are happening in. <laughs> there's there's work going on behind us, so... Uh, well, we're, we're, in, we're in the, well, we're, where we record Puck Soup in, in Manhattan at the Yahoo headquarters, the rumbling and mumbling you hear in the background as them breaking down a shoot because yeah. we actually for those who don't know our studio is in a corner of the actual video studio where like they built it for basically adrian wojnowski yep. because he's like important mm-hmm. so they said here's a here's a big big room for your important things and we'll find here's a corner we're not using and you can have that for your dramatically less important things yes yeah I still think, though, I mean, I was telling you when I got in here, the entire ordeal just to get into this place in the first place kind of made it feel like a big deal. So, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, you know, we might not be being recognized here back here in this little nook, but I feel like just getting here in the first place is a, is a good start. Well, you have to understand that in the tech industry, which Yahoo is yep. in, um, protecting your secrets is paramount. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, it's weird because this is, the New York, the New York office definitely has programmers and mm-hmm. stuff. But by and large, it's like the video facility. Um, we have some, a couple sports people. The, the news. It's much more of a content producing office, I think, than anything that happens in Santa Monica or Sunnyvale, which is where the other two offices are here in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, yeah, like you have to really go through the ringer. I mean, part of it, I think, is dog and pony. Like when we have like real celebrities like yourself, yes, and. Uh, Rain, Rain Wilson from The Office was here apparently the, the, today. The two of us generally get lumped together. You in these do, yes, yeah. this is true. Uh, you were both fans uh, fans of Beats and Afraid yeah. of Bears, I And we're both in the Pacific Northwest, so... This is true. We, um, uh, we have to kind of make it appear as though that uh, we are, uh, you know, a very big deal, so... Yes. You know, not metal detectors necessarily, <laughs> but, but at least some people that you have to look at face-to-face and say that I'm here for distinct purpose. Yes, and the purpose that we're here for is to have a discussion about the awards winning, I think. Well, hardcore hockey yes, talk. Yes, hardcore hockey talk. Um, so you have a vote. I don't yet. I'm 
Now, why getting, don't you? Have you talked to somebody I've about that? I've talked to Craig Custins, friend of the podcast, and yeah. he's, I'm becoming Vancouver's member of the Pro Hockey Writers Association. Oh, you're becoming a part of their contingent. Which allows me to vote, I right. think. Um, he are you, had, are he you had to ex- do some tests to make sure I haven't offended too many people, and I think I passed. So, <laughs> <laughs> Are you excited to have a vote? Yeah, and I... I mean, this is a good. We can have this discussion. Like right now, you're not going to definitively say who you're going to vote for because that's not how this works. But like, you're a pretty transparent guy, and after the fact, you let people know how you voted. Like, I, I think that. Do you think we should have full transparency for this stuff? Because I don't really see the reason why we wouldn't. There. So, being in the meetings and hearing the people argue for not having transparency, I, I get what they're saying. Um, what's that? What's that main argument? The main argument is that when you start releasing your votes, you open yourself up to pressures mm-hmm. and uh, and uncomfortable situations with the teams you cover. Now, there's another argument, which is the stupid one, which right. is that I don't want fans yelling at yes, me. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then be be better with your votes. And like, they'll find a way to yell at you yeah, regardless. They yell so. at you all the time. Yeah. Like, why should this be? This is just another thing to get yelled at yes, about. Yes, it's part I mean, of the it's job. Stupid. It's a stupid argument. Yeah. But the other argument's interesting because, you know, this is a this is the the, the, the gray area in in the media voting for these awards is that there is a financial component to them mm-hmm. for these players. Right. There's there's bonuses attached to them. There's money in being a Hart Trophy winner. Yep. Uh, you know, and things of that nature. So there there is sort of that hazy, weird morality question of whether we should have a vote anyway. Yes. And so within that context is if I'm a voter and I'm a beat writer. You know, what pressures are there coming from the team, coming from the players that I cover to cast my vote a certain way? Right. Now, you know, does does that mean like if you're an Ottawa writer, yep. right? How in the hell do you not cast your vote for Eric Carlson? Right. He's the franchise. He's the guy. You have to cover him. You know where the owner stands on the issue. You yep. know where the GM stands on the issue. You know where the entire franchise stands on the issue. Yep. If you're an Ottawa writer and your ballot gets published and you have Brent Burns and then someone, yes. and then Carlson, yeah. like, you will be ostracized. You, or, or you will be, the fear is you'll be ostracized. That's now, true. This, isn't, this isn't like the Olympic question where I see valor on both sides of the argument. I think that every vote should be transparent. Yeah. We're journalists. Like, yes. what we do needs to have sunshine in everything that we do outside of protecting sources. Yeah. And this is a, a silly reason. These are silly reasons to not be transparent because, honestly— Everything that we do as journalists, we should be able to defend yeah. with facts, right. and that includes these votes. I mean, I think you can generally tell like which what local beat reporters did with their votes when you see like a random guy that no one else voted for pop up as like well getting like, a third place vote and like for the selkie or something. You're just like, what? Yeah, like, <laughs> like last year when I, I wrote a piece on, you know, in, in, true journalist that I am, uh, a history of Sidney Crosby. <laughs> Hitting people's crotches or getting hit in the crotch yes. this morning on yes. Puck Daddy. And, uh, and I went back and looked, and, and he received the same number of votes for the Lady Bing as John Tavares. Hmm. John Tavares is like a rice cracker. Yeah. He is a, a devoid of personality player who is the, the opposite of nasty. Hmm. He would be a Lady Bing guy, in my opinion, no matter what. Yep. Sidney Crosby is not. <laughs> Sidney Crosby does not strike you as the most gentlemanly player, but but you know which that, is what makes him great too, right? Which is what makes him great. But he's like, but he's you know at the same time, it's like you know where those votes are coming yeah. from. You know, it's yeah. it's Pittsburgh. 
Yes. Okay, well, let's let's get into some of these discussions, because we were talking before we went on, I feel like pretty much all of them, at least the important ones, are very up in the air. They are. Um, let's start with... Let's start with the Selkie. Right. Um, this, this is always a fascinating award because for years, it's basically been, you know, Kopitar and Bergeron, and then you kind of flip a coin or, or personal preference. And I feel like this is the year where, you know, as good as Bergeron's 515 numbers still are in terms of shot share and, and all the stuff that you like to see from, from him, um, it feels like he's not necessarily a slam dunk for this award. And there's going to be some interesting guys that we haven't really considered in the past like i guess maybe orion kessler is mm-hmm. in the discussion and he's kind of been a guy that's been there maybe in years past but i don't know like where where are you leaning or, or are there any sort of dark horse picks for you that people should be uh paying attention to more at this point well in looking back on my mid-season picks i had kessler so i think he'll definitely be a finalist mm-hmm. and i think he's he's you know most likely deserving of of that i had barkoff but I'm wondering if the injury and the man games lost since the midpoint might damage that. But he's one of these guys that, like, I, you know, I've been advertising him for years as sort of like Taves self. Yeah. And, and because he spells his first name in an odd way, he'll probably never get that respect. Yes. Um, but I think that he's, a, he's sort of a fascinating two-way player. I would say, though, that Bergeron... See, the problem with Bergeron is this. It's, so, it's sort of like the Nick Lidstrom problem, right? Like right. a down year for Nick Lidstrom is still one of the greatest years for a defenseman. Right. right? So a down year for, for Patrice Bergeron is what? Is it, a, is it a bad year for a forward? Is it a bad year for, by Patrice Bergeron's standards? Yes. And do you judge this award based on previous work, or do you judge it based on the season? I think... Ideally, you'd like to base it on the season because that's what the award is right. for. But it's kind of tough. Those lines definitely get blurred. They and, do. And we're, I mean, we'll get into this when we discuss the heart. But it's also t- very tough to separate his impact with Brad Marchand's impact. I agree. Like, and, and, but I think for me, the issue is that you know the, the, one of the biggest arguments about the NHL awards voting is it should not be a career yes. or lifetime achievement award. Right. And yet, when you have a, a, a grade A player like Bergeron, who by any standard is having a, an insufficient year compared to his previous work, right. that does get into that area of are, you're judging him based on, on a career standard versus a seasonal standard. And if you judge him by a seasonal standard, I mean, I, I haven't looked at the, at the numbers that closely recently, yeah. but I mean, I remember last time I looked overall, they were still amongst the best in the league as far as defensive players. Yeah, they, yeah I mean, they'd, whenever him and Rashawn on the ice, the ice is pretty much just tilted in their, right. in their favor, right? But it, it's, I mean, we should, we should get... Uncle Jeff Merrick on this podcast right now for a quick soundbite because uh, the <laughs> next question is something he's very passionate about. But like, what would it take for you to vote for a, a winger in this award? Oh, I would vote for a winger in a millisecond. Mm. I've been ready. I, I, I would have to look back at my previous ballots, but I know that I've definitely put Hosa in the mix on some yes. of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I it, 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 to, to me, it's it's one of these situations where it comes this positional bias that we always see is true and in some cases with the awards and, and, and untrue in others. Like, the Selkie by no means should be a defensive centerman award at all. Right. It's a defensive forward award, yep. in which case if you're the best at what you do on the wing. And, and I say that, my favorite reference is this. As a Devils fan, I watched Jay Pandolfo mm-hmm. and John Madden form one of the best defensive duos the last couple decades. Yep. And their work that they used to do on guys like Yager was legendary, right? Yep. Um, but... Uh, you know, that's that's not a guy that was ever going to get consideration for a Selkie because he was on the wing. And by the positional bias thing, of course, I mean, like, the idea that 
um, uh, you know, when you when you, we talk about the Calder, yep. there's always this notion that it's harder to play center coming up. Or then some people say it's harder to play defense coming up, right. and everybody agrees it's easier just to play wing. <laughs> See, that's an award where I think positional bias you can you can talk about a little bit, and we'll probably talk about that when we mm-hmm. get to the Calder. Um, but the Selkie isn't isn't the same sort of situation. I think I think it's it's a lazy fallback position because the laziest fallback position for someone voting for the Selkie is looking at faceoff percentage. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at last year's voting, and Philip Forsberg was the first true winger um, on this list, and he was 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Alex Dean was 15th. Like those are the only two guys that even sniffed any consideration here. Like it's, I don't know, it's it's it's, it's tough. I think the, also something that I've heard tossed out that I think we need to consider is like, I know Crosby's gotten some buzz for this in years past and he finished seventh last year and you wouldn't typically think of a guy like that who's also like leading the league in scoring as a defensive forward. But this case was made for Joe Thornton last year where it's like a good way to defend is to just always have the puck. puck, And like, so like a guy like Connor McDavid this year where you just see how much he has on his plate and how much he does, it's like, he probably is one of the best defensive forwards in the league just right. because of everything that him being on the ice entails. I've always been fascinated by that argument because, you know, that that was act, when I was living in D.C. and covering the Capitals, that was the argument that Caps, the smarter Caps fans like J.P. from yep. Japers Rink mm-hmm. would make about Mike Green for the Norris. Right. The, the argument for Mike Green when people were like, he's a, he's a terrible defenseman. I mean, he just wheeled in his own zone all the time as well. Or <laughs> yep. he possesses the puck so much and scores so often that maybe he's actually a better d- defender than you give him credit for. Right. So it's funny how that's sort of turned over the years to where we now acknowledge that for forwards, but it wasn't the same case for Green during his Norris candidacy. Right. I, I, th- I think a guy like Sid and I think a guy like McDavid are definitely in the mix. I think Sid, obviously, his defensive uh, respect for his defensive game has grown over the years. Yep. But the one name, to go back to the Capitals, I think is kind of interesting because when you look at the big picture of these awards and how people vote for them, there is a certain gold watch mm-hmm. you know, aspect to them right. of, of the totality of your career and and, and, and like you need done. like a certain baseline offensive production to even right. Get... But also, it's also who haven't we given love to? Yeah, which is why spoiler warning: I think Burns is going to win the Norris. Right, um, and I think Nick Backstrom is in that list now. Like Backstrom's having a heart caliber year, yeah, but they'll never give him the heart. Right, probably because of Holtby, but probably also because there's a contingency of the voters that think he's a product of Ovechkin, rightly or wrongly. Right, wrongly this year. Yes. Um, so the Selkie then becomes a way to reward that, and I think that Backstrom will. I, I would predict that Backstrom will be a finalist for the Selkie because of that. That's interesting. I think that uh, I did like a mid-season award show like this with Chris Johnston, and I didn't mention uh, a guy like Miko Koibu at the time, and I got a lot of pushback from, from Wild fans, so I wanted to just throw his name out there I think to he, do our due diligence. I think he's going to be in the mix too. Yeah. But I also think that you, you have to remember when the votes are tallied, and yeah. we haven't voted yet. We haven't cast a vote yet. Right. And when it comes to guys like Koivu and Dubnik mm-hmm. and Brudreau, right. You have to look at the fortunes of the team and how people are feeling. It's again, this is peeling back. This is the smartest podcast about stats and hockey on on the internet in the world, maybe. And I hate the fact that we're talking about feelings and yes. stuff. But that's the bottom line with these awards. Right. When are they cast? Who's doing what? When? Where are their teams? How are we feeling about them? Yes. All that jive. And when the Wild are tumbling down the standings as they are. The feelings are going to change about guys like like I can't speak about Dubnik obviously because we don't vote for it. But anyway, I can't speak about Boudreaux because we don't vote for that either. 
But I can speak about a guy like Koivu, and as the team tumbles down the standings, maybe he leaves your brain a little bit as far as his standing for the Selkie. Yeah. I think the recency bias is a real thing, and, and I can't shake this recent image in my mind where, so we just had this discussion where Bergeron's having kind of a down year for his standards, and a trendy pick for this award has been uh, Michael Backlund for just everything he's yeah. done yeah. Uh, with, with Kachuk and Froelich and just kind of re-energizing the, the Flames and really taking them to the playoffs now. And the Bruins and the Flames played in Calgary, I think, like a week ago or so. And it was just one of those reminders of where everyone stands in the league's hierarchy because those two lines matched up and Bergeron and Marchand just absolutely yeah. annihilated them. And it was like a classic, like, if you come in the king, you best not miss moment right. where. Well, it goes back to Ken, Ken Carlson winning the Norris having uh, gotten uh, just demolished and undressed by Austin Matthews in the first game of the season <laughs> <laughs> with, all, with all of Canada watching. He seems to have recovered uh, in the last <laughs> six, 70 games or so. Um, all right, let's let's move on. Let, do you want to get talk about coaches here real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, this, this award is so tricky because no, it's not. It should be Babcock. If the if the Leafs make the playoffs, it should be Mike Babcock to win the award. He he's taken a team with average goaltending, right? With gigantic gaping holes in their lineup, with a, a team whose nucleus is a bunch of kids, and and he's it may perhaps led them to the playoffs. And, you know, again, I, I'll go gold watch here. The fact that he's never won is a, is a travesty. Yes. Um, in the two cases of the guys who were leading this award at different points of the season, one's fortune is completely tied to his goalie in yep. Boudreaux, although you have to admit that there are obviously offensive effects for that team, too, and you can credit him for that. Right. But there's no question that the Herculean leap in the standings is due to how good Dubnik was this season. Yep. And in the other one... It's a combination of a great goaltender who may now be the favorite for the Vesna mm-hmm. and a a historically great power play for at least the first two to three months of the season. Yeah. And in Babcock's case, he's had neither. Right. <laughs> but he has coached a team uh, that I think a lot of us thought would be maybe perhaps back in the lottery into a playoff seating. And if they if they make the cut, I think that he should win. Yeah. Well, I mean, along those lines, though, like a guy that never really gets um, as much love as he should just because of the, like, maybe the players he has on his team. But, like, I'm looking at the standings right now. I mean, Chicago's looking looking pretty good. And I, I haven't seen anyone talk about I'm, the job Joe Cuomo's done, which is interesting considering he sort of has that similar argument, too, where at least, you know, they have the old the old guard there with Keith and Taze and Kane and, yeah. and Hosa and stuff. But, like, you know, they're getting contributions from Ryan Hartman and Vinny Heinestroza and all these guys that are just coming out of, from the AHL. Just to, and he's just pushing all the right buttons. But it's Phil Jackson disease. Yeah, you know, as long as long as you've got Jordan and Pippen, you know, what what sort of what level of respect are you going to get versus guys that do more with less? I like the I like the Babcock pick just purely. I know people are going to be obnoxious about it being a you know, and whenever Toronto gets any attention, it's you know, the center of the hockey universe, and people always freak out about that. But it's like at least for once, we're not going to have a coach that just has the highest PDO for the season, or or, <laughs> or or have a coach whose goalie is going to be a finalist for the Vezina. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing too. Like I, I respect what Tortorella did with the Blue Jackets only because I think he did some really heavy lifting and changing their mindset. And, and getting and getting them to play hard early in the season. Mm. They've come back around and they're streaky now after being kind of meh for a few months. And I respect the hell out of Boudreaux. I think Boudreaux's you know top three coach in this league as far right. as what he's able to do with the team, playoffs accepted. But in both cases, they have a Vezina finalist goaltender at the end of the day, and yep. Babcock doesn't. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's an easy sell for me. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm glad we hashed that out. Same um, thing with Trots, by the way. 
Yeah, it's 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 so tough. I mean, obviously he got love for it last year, but it's like you look it's you look at the roster and obviously like on the list of stuff that they do well, like Trotz is going to be low just because yeah of all the other stuff. But I mean, it's tough to argue with the job he's done. Just like I mean, obviously part of it is his GM giving him the pieces to work with, but like there's such a well-oiled machine in terms of there's no holes in the lineup, and it'd be pretty. I mean, I guess when he's benching Nate Schmidt for Brooks Orbeck, maybe I I can pick some. Right, pick some, uh, but but at this, but you like you said before. I mean, like you, I respect the job Quenville's done more than Trotz this yeah. year because Quenville had to integrate really really green players into his lineup in a yep. way that Trotz didn't. Um, all right, let's do the. Uh, I guess the, is the Norris next, or do you want to do the Calder? Which Let's one, do which the Norris. Which one feels less quick. prestigious? Like I, know, I know that we're getting all really excited about the Eric Carlson thing, mm. but it, it, I, I hate to I hate to be the guy who points to Canada and says you called the shot, but I'm going to point to Canada and say you called the shot. They've been saying it's Burns' year since the beginning of the season, right? And Burns is Team Canada, and Burns has a funny beard, and he has a zoo full of animals, right. and he's a real great great quote. Yeah, I mean, Carlson. he dresses like an oversized yeah. leprechaun. Sometimes. Carlson, by the way, is a great quote too, yes, but in a different is. way. Yeah, um, there's no way Burns is losing this award. This is going to be much like you don't give a pitcher the MVP in baseball. This is you give the Norris to an MVP defenseman. This is all it is, and it's, it, there's no way. I, I I don't even know how there's any concern or consternation from Team Burns that he's not going to win this award. He won this award two, like three months ago. Yeah, it's been in the bank. Um, yeah. <sighs> Here's the the thing that I know that people are gonna um, raise uh, questions with, and it's, when Dowdy gets a uh, five, <laughs> top three, no, after after Connor McDavid <laughs> ended his career uh, the other night, it's uh, it's not happening. Um, isn't it weird to you a bit? I understand you just mentioned you know the Team Canada factor, and just he's not not thought of as just being a pure sort of skill guy playing that position, but. For all the people that were questioning Carlson's legitimacy in this in this race last year, like no one's really raising those same questions with Burns. It's, it's idiotic. Year. Like they're they're doing the same thing. They're like Burns this, is scoring more yeah. goals and doing yeah. it in a different way, but there's still. I mean, he's just as big of a defensive liability just on in terms of like the glaring mistakes as Carlson is, and I don't think but, either guy is necessarily even a glaring. See, that's that's the issue though. The issue is that he doesn't have the same level of scrutiny because of where he plays right. and because maybe people aren't looking for it. I mean, there, there's an entire cottage industry of people that look for Eric Carlson turnovers and Eric Carlson getting wheeled and Eric Carlson doing this and that. I mean, like, like it becomes, and I'll fully admit that I have one of those guys on my staff, like Josh Cooper is constantly looking as, as, a, as, a, as a Shea Weber mark. Yes. Like, he's constantly looking for reasons to... Yeah, he's a, he's, to, he's a Drew Doughty truther. And he's, yeah, to yeah. crap all over uh, uh, Eric Carlson. Yep. So, like, I think part of it is that, that there isn't the same level of of uh, of spotlight on the mistakes that Burns makes, but he's going to win the award in a walk. Like it's it's not even a point of debate where I think it's it's preordained, just like Dowdy was. I guess the interesting thing is who's not that it matters, but who is going to be the third finalist for this award? Well, that's a good question. Um, Edmund, what did I have at midseason? As I look back at it, because I haven't done one of these award things in a bit. Headman, I had, yeah. and I, and I think Headman's an interesting choice only because. Of, of, I mean, you talk about heavy lifting. Like that guy's had to do some real heavy lifting this year. Yeah, um, and, and sixty points. And I he's mean, another guy that, to me, has been sort of like waiting for his turn on this. Right. The Norris is very much like the Vezina in that in that sense. Like you have to kind of wait your turn until everybody wins that's supposed to win one, and then you get to win one too. Right. And so I think had been sort of bubbling there. I, I'd have no problem if he was the third finalist for it. Yeah. Although you know there there are probably other guys that are just as worthy. I'm cool with any of these picks. I mean, at the start of the year, it really felt like this this narrative train that we 
is helping Burns, like it looked like Shea Weber might get some of that. It was like at the start yeah. of the year when they started off undefeated and like goalies were just stopping everything behind him. So like he had like an on ice save percentage of like nine eighty or something. And it's yeah. like he's so good defensively. It's like well, his goalie's stopping everything. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I probably felt the same way, but now my real fear is that the Canadians win the cup with him. Like Ooh. my my real fear in, as a PK Subban fan is that like not only you know. Not only do, like they win the cup the year after they trade PK with yeah. Weber, and then Weber wins like the Smythe. <laughs> and then people start connecting the dots. Well, yeah, it's just like how do you how do you how do you how do you untie that knot? Yeah, right? that's a lot of mental gymnastics. Did you, but did you uh, did you listen to PK on uh, on Bill Simmons' podcast? I did. He was great. Such a good speaker. Right? Yeah, he's he's really he's a really good salesman. Well, for himself, mm-hmm. but also for for the game. I mean, he, right. he he brings it to you on a human level. Um, you know, he's a guy that, unfortunately, I think, has maybe become a little polished over the years as far as his... You're right. I mean, like, you think back to the when him and Marchand had real heat and what that sounded like. When, when he talks now, I mean, he's very much brand PK. Right. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's good for the sport to have that kind of guy. Yep. But but I think that the the brash, say-whatever-comes-to-mind guy, probably won't, we won't see him again until he retires and, and signs with Sportsnet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still like the way you you don't really hear hockey players speak much, just how obviously some of it was tongue-in-cheek when he was saying, like, they should go to the NFL schedule and just have just 16 games. But but, I mean, he definitely, like, he wasn't joking around when he said that 82 games is way too many on the body. And it's like, you don't really hear players talk like that Yeah, but at the same time, though, like, like, I I hit him with a question out of the All-Star game that I really wanted to have a discussion with him Mm -hmm. about, but he kind of just kind of turned into a ho-ho-ho kind of thing, which was... Okay, like you're the biggest advocate for the players marketing themselves, and and the NHL doesn't market you guys as individuals, and yet the Players Association is the reason we don't have a fantasy draft, and the Players Association is the reason we don't have the goofy, funny hat prop comedy competition in the All Star Game anymore right. that you were really good at. So what's that about? And then he turned it into, yeah, kind of like a he soft shooted a little bit, and I, I and and to me it's like he could be a little bit more. Of an of that level of advocate or that level of truth spitter, but mm-hmm. I know he's not going to be because he just signed with a major agency. Yeah, and some of it is just like hockey culture is so stupid. Sometimes it is, but like it just beats players down. Like I, I, I'm, it's not surprising to me that after having been in the league for however many years, like he's probably learned the hard. But why truth. should he give a crap about that? He's in Nashville now. That's the thing. Like he could be that guy now in Nashville. No one's going to say boo about it. I mean, Laviolette might. Yeah. I, don't know. I think people still generally like want to be like though. I don't right. know. But let's just hope that yeah. Weber doesn't get a, a finalist vote. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um okay, let's do the Calder. Um so we teased it with the positional uh factor here and I, I do you know, sometimes that can be overblown. But I think that in this case, maybe more so than the position, it's sort of what comes with it, where where like you watch, see the players that Matthews has played with her most of the year, and mm-hmm. with all due respect to Zach Hyman, who I actually like as a player, he's probably more of a bottom six grinder type who kills penalties and is kind of feisty and occasionally has like five big games a year, mm-hmm. rather than a guy who should be playing with your superstar, whereas... Line A's bounced around playing with Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers and even like Matthew Perot who can get him the puck and I, the, that's definitely a factor. What what this comes down to for me is how you felt about last year. Because mm. if you cast a vote for Panarin last year, then you should have no problem casting a vote for Line A. Right. Because Panarin played with Kane. Yes. And the argument you can make for Panarin last year was, well, he gave Kane one of his best offensive seasons of his career, and he's a pretty damn good player. Mm-hmm. And in Shifley's case, 
Lina gave him gave Shifley the best offensive season of his career. Now you right. could say that's Shifley coming into his own, or you could say he has an all-world player now yeah, on his line. Probably a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So to me, you can't make the arg- the line mate argument if you cast a vote for Panarin last year, and I think Panarin's vote gives you a little bit of comfort in voting for Line A if you wanted to. Yes, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, I think it's. It, 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 I think you have to make more nuanced arguments for Matthews mm-hmm. than you do for Line A. Because at the end of the day, there's a very good chance that he's going to be leading in goals and points. Yeah. And to me, you just point to those things and say, the guy who leads in goals and points is the guy who wins the Calder. Right. But in Matthew's case, you can make a strong case, but you have to dig a little deeper. And that's what makes the, that's what makes the vote really interesting. Well, kind of along the lines of that nuance and also the discussion we had with Panarin versus McDavid last year, it's also... That's, me- well, and Line A also wins points per game, too. Yes. <laughs> I, think it's the me- I think it's the methodology of the award, though. It's like, what are we... How are we awarding? Are we awarding it just purely who had the best season in this year, which I guess it is. It's the rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. Or are you looking like long term who's going to have the better career where it's like and, and you don't want to be the if, if, I know you don't want to you don't want to award best new artist to a band that's only going to put out one more album. Like you don't want to be the guy that was all in on Barrett Jackman for, for, for Calder the right. year he wanted it. No, it seems I, silly in hindsight. I, it's I, like, I agree. But the. the but I don't. That's what, another reason I don't think there's a wrong answer yeah. here. I think they're both going to have amazing careers. Yes. Um, I think the real the real nuance in the award is is when you talk about the best rookie, how much of that is based on the numbers, right? And then how much of that is based on the impact? Because if it's impact, then you you might even put Warinsky ahead of Line a and put maybe Matthews first. Yep. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating debate, and it's been fun to have all year. It's gotten quite nasty. I think because I think people ser- anytime the the argument becomes Toronto centric, then it becomes kind of nuclear. Well, t- I mean, we learned this with Carlson Dowdy last year. Two players cannot both be good at the same time. Right. If one exactly. guy's good, the other guy must suck. Exactly. It's, it's if I had if I had to cast my vote today, I would probably cast it for Line A, mm-hmm. only because you know if he if he wins goals and points and points per game. I don't and I, and I and I cast my vote for Panarin last year over over McDavid, but that was more of a a work history thing. Yep. Like I can't in good conscience not vote for the guy. Well, it's it's fascinating to me how you know they're both having amazing uh, offensive seasons and scoring a lot of goals, but it's like so Matthews is off the charts in terms of you know like shot attempts and and scoring chances and like he's just a shot volume monster and that's the type of thing where if you look at that for his career that's a very good sign that he's oh yeah gonna score a, like, a lot of goals oh, yeah. in the years to come whereas line a obviously shoots a lot too but he's much more of like an Ilya kovalchuk sniper type where mm-hmm. he's like he's shooting nearly 20 percent for the year and i well, think he that, prob- was, that was the other thing too like the the, the sustainability of his shooting right. percentage i'm like okay but what what if he is kovalchuk like what if he is ovechkin like what maybe this is just going to be like I understand that the worry about about this maybe he, starting strong and then settling into whatever he's going to end up being, but maybe maybe it's just going to be high, right? But even even if he isn't this type of a prolific shooter, like this award is describing what's already happened and he's already banked that efficiency. Yeah, right? I know like, you're saying that's, that's not predictive. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter how, if he shoots twelve percent next year. It's like he shot twenty percent this year and he scored those goals. Right. You can't. That's not. No. That's, that, that, that's why it's the sort of. Uh, how do you how do you parse out Matt Murray in this award? 
It's <laughs> a deep sigh of consternation. Like, like he's right there after Wierenski, I think. I, I, I'd have a tough time. Yeah. As big of a fan I was of his game and how as good as he's been, it's tough saying that he's had a bigger impact than these guys. Even though, like, Flurry really fell off yeah. and, and Murray's numbers are good, I don't think the Penguins would have just fell off the table if Marc-Andre Flurry started 60 games for them this year. Like, I think no, they I think, still would have scored enough have, goals. I think it would have fallen off the table if Antti Niemi did. You know, or someone like that. I, I, yeah. I think I think Murray has had an. I think Murray is obviously penalized because he won the cup. Yeah, I mean, without question. And, um, and but I also think that the, the legit argument against him is if you look back at the goalies that have won, he doesn't have the work. He doesn't have the work history of of a of a, of a Steve Mason. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have that work rate. And and without that work rate, I don't think a goalie can. Well, go. He's he, by when it's all said and done, he will have started m- less than fifty games yeah. this season. And, and I don't tough. think that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. There. Unless you come on halfway through the season and like save the season, yeah, you know. Kind well, of thing. not not with this class where there's two, right. at least two or three guys that like would win it pretty much right. every year. Um, okay, we got two more here. Let's 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 bang through these rapid fire. Vesna. I think it's it's Dubnik and yeah. and uh, and Bobrovsky and Holt. So you don't think he's gonna? You don't think Dubnik's gonna be hurt by? The no, no, no. I'm bias? saying those are so three, okay, three. Okay. in not okay. alphabetical order, in right. the order that came to my brain. Okay. And I think Bobrovsky's gonna win. Mm. I, I think he. I think he's pushed through, and I think he ends up getting credit for what the Blue Jackets have done this season, especially if they finish first in the division. Yeah, yeah, and it's been cool because. He obviously had that amazing season, and then injuries sort yeah. of seemed to derail him for a bit there. Yeah. And I always, I'm always a fan of when a guy I'm, can stay healthy and do what he does best. He's a remarkably good goalie, yeah. and uh, and anything that makes Philly feel slightly bad in life more, more than they do is always a good thing in my eyes. Yeah, but I All think right. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Dubnik holds on? No, I mean he's really. I mean he still he still has a 9.27 save percentage. Like he's still. Really, really good, and and all these guys have similar workloads. I think the name the name that you didn't bring up that warrants a discussion is Cam Talbot. No, I think so too. Especially it's not like seventy plus games, seventy plus games, and the number of of high danger chance shots yep. he faces. I mean, like without question, he deserves to be there. I just I look at it logically, and I say to myself, okay. You know Holtby is going to be there because he's got the numbers and he'll yep. get credit because the Capitals are good and Novechkin's not been great. So that's obviously Holtby. That's the way that it, it's he, never Nick Bass. Remember who is voting for this? <laughs> it's the GMs. Um, I think Bob will get it too. Yeah. Only because I, I, you know, I think he's there. Yeah. I, and I wonder now, you know, the the thing is, is that you need enough Western Conference GMs to put Talbot over along with Dubnik. And I don't know. Yeah, it could tough. be. I, I I would have no issue if Talbot got into the top three, but who does he supplant? That's the that's the real issue. Realistically, you know, two of those guys are definites: Bobrovsky and, and Dubnik. Yeah, and you assume Holtby gets into, based on the numbers. Yeah, I, it's t- it's tough to argue with. I think I think those four guys are sort of in a class of their yeah. own. Though, it's, but I mean, God, Talbot's been great. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's it's made them made that management look smarter than they really are. So, do you think that? Camp, are you in the camp that Cam Talbot has been Edmonton's most valuable player? Or? No, I'm McDavid. <laughs> okay, thank you. That was a, that was a test. Preposterous. Uh, <laughs> let's, okay, let's get into the MVP. I and love, I love, I love the 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 the, the, the temporary 
application of value to a goaltender in certain situations but not others is a fascinating thing in awards voting, isn't it? Like, it's like amazing. This guy's great. Look how good his team is. Look how good his goalie is. Yeah. You know, and now it's it's either a, a, something you completely ignore or it's the reason you shouldn't vote for a guy. It's yeah. insane. It really is. It really is. Um, so who are your finalists for the heart? All right. Because I think there's four guys that are all up there, and one of them is obviously going to get cut from those three. Now, here's the thing. I, I have a very strict criteria for the heart, which is that you've got to be in it to win it. Mm-hmm. As I look back at my midseason awards, I do have a candidate that I wish was there, but I don't think he's going to get there, which was Jeff Carter, mm-hmm. who was the King's offense Insane, this yeah. yeah. Everything. So if they had made the cut, I think he would have been my top three along with McDavid and Sid. Yeah. As it stands now, I think you go. I think you go. McDavid one, Sid two, Marchand three. Yeah, I mean, for a while there, it felt like Burns was getting some traction as a legitimate number one candidate, or definitely to be a finalist. And Marchand's recent run has, I guess, kind of just bumped him from that. Yeah, and I, and I know there's going to be some backlash because of the Corey Perry thing, yeah. like like the recency bias candidate. Yeah, but he's just been great. And, and I also think that the the recency bias backlash will be tempered by the. We just discovered Brad Marchand's a good player and not a little scumbag thing that's happened in the yeah. last two years, where especially at the World Cup, man. Like being at the World Cup and covering the World Cup and just seeing like the clouds lift from the eyes of people who are like, wait a second, you're not just a little a little pesty mosquito, you're a hockey player? Yeah. You can play with Sid? Yeah. Was uh was pretty remarkable to watch. So I th- I think that was sort of the canary in the coal mine as far as like if he had a great season he was going to get something yeah. uh, worthy of, of of a heart nomination it wouldn't like I said I think Burns gets the Norris as the defenseman MVP I think Marchand gets invited to the party with McDavid and Sid but I will I will if McDavid wins a scoring title mm. and it's not guaranteed that he does if I think it comes down to listen I think that McDavid deserves the heart no matter what yeah but I think that the voting will come down to whoever wins the Art Ross. I think McDavid should win this award, and here's why. Um, no matter what, right? No matter what, because with this award, we struggle. Because Edmonton is dog shit, yeah. and the Penguins won the Cup. That, that's part of it, <laughs> for sure. I think that we struggle with this award where it's like, is it most valuable or most outstanding? Yeah. And, and it's like, how, what, like, it's a very subjective award. Well, but, but there is a, that's the, that's the biggest problem with the award, is that there is a most outstanding award, and the players vote for it. Yes. But I think that McDavid is both the most valuable to his team, if you look at what happens when he's on the ice first off of it and what he's done for them. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the most outstanding. Like, if someone from some foreign country came here and never watched hockey before, and they were like, I can only watch one player, one game, you would tell them to watch Connor McDavid play, right? Like, it, I assume you mean like Sudan, because most foreign countries do have hockey. So a place that has no access to hockey. Let's say an, an alien. An alien okay. came down to Earth one day and he's going back home tomorrow. Uh, now, the existence of Ilya Brishkalov, I think, puts that into question yes. too, my, my friend. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, 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 you know, And he's got the numbers argument and he's got the eye test argument. And, and he's also got one other thing that's very important when it comes to heart voting, which is... You know, sometimes the voting comes down to two things with these, with these hockey writers who admittedly, as I've established in this podcast, are usually I- idiots when yeah. it comes to their reasoning. Um, and that's not a, a, you know, it's not a good portion of them, but it's, it's, a, it's a, a good significant percentage of, of the minority of them. Yeah. Um, they either like to make stars or establish 
the legacy of existing SARS. Right. So in McDavid's case and in Sid's case, you have two competing ideologies there. Yep. We're either going to put another feather in the cap in the ear of Sid, or we're going to give Connor his first of many. Right. And, and I think at the end of the day, they'll give Connor his first of many. This rewriting of history with what's happened with the Oilers this year has been a really remarkable subplot to me, where you have this contingent of people that are kind of like going out of their way to do anything other than give McDavid his due here, where it's like the Edmonton model, what Peter Shirelli's done for them, the, the you know, bringing in Adam Larson, getting Cam Talbot. It's like, yeah, Cam Talbot has been amazing. We just said he's probably like the fourth best goalie this season, and definitely their D is more reliable than it's been in the past. But without McDavid, like McDavid is the Edmonton model, the Oilers model, right? It's right. like without him, none of this matters. And and I know that the other argument they make along with the Talbot one that you made before, or acknowledged before, you didn't make it before, you acknowledged it before. The other argument is the Dreisaitl one. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, look what Dreisaitl's done. I mean, right. I mean, it's, he's got help. It's not as if he's skating with Zach Hyman. It's not as if he's skating with Pat, making Patrick Maroon a 30-goal right. scorer. But the peng- if you take out Steven Stamkos... In yeah. a 17-game season, yep. the Penguins have, for players that have 60-plus games on the year, the top two players in points per game, and they don't play on the same line. So yeah. if we're making the who's got help argument, yes. I mean, Sid's got help. Yes. No, he has, uh, he has quite a bit of help. I mean, listen, like, for the people that say that it's Cam Talbot and it's the, and it's the blue line, like, I've seen what a Cam Talbot-like performance Annette and Adam Larson on the blue line gets you, and, <laughs> I mean, you're pretty familiar with that. It's, it's not, not, not a lot of winning. For, for the record, I've been very happy with Taylor <laughs> Hall. He's on a very bad team. I think he's done his best. He's a pleasure. He's, he's amazing. That he's, goal, that for, for, Forsberg-esque goal and, he scored. And, I mean, and, be, and good on both sides of the ice. And as, as yeah. of right now, not a problem in the locker room. Yes. <laughs> That's right now. There's bigger fish to fry there. Um, Greg, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to chat, well, man. Thank you for having me back. We're about to hop on your podcast yeah, now. This is some serious brand synergy we've got going it's, on. It's great brand synergy. I imagine the conversation that we have on Puck Soup will be a little bit different. And by that, I mean dumber. Well, that's all Lozo, though. Oh, you know that. Boy, that guy. <laughs> as much as Merrick brings up my smarts, yes. Lozo brings it right down. <laughs> Lo- Merrick, Merrick likes to talk about, like, Dickie Dunn. Yeah. And Lozo likes to talk about another Dickie. And that's the difference. <laughs> uh, that's a good way to end the show. On that note. Yeah. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Thank you.